For the next few moments, we're talking about the power of one. No doubt in today's climate uh, and the culture that we're in, there is a groaning concern of how this all will shake out. How does this all play out in the ends? When we look at what's happening today, we are faced with an unprecedented time as we are in an election year in the middle of a pandemic, a financial roller coaster, and personal conditions that we all must work through. Uh, but it can be so easy for us to feel so insignificant and feel so small. When you look at the landscape of what we're facing, um, it's not easy. It becomes overwhelming sometimes. What do you even pray for? How do I even effectively help somebody else? What, what am I supposed to do? And those can become such overwhelming thoughts and questions that sometimes it becomes easy for us to just kind of sit back and just watch and wait and just kind of see what happens. No doubt everyone in this room, myself included, have had so many questions. Does my vote really count? Uh, what will happen if I contract uh, the virus? What if I'm responsible for uh, spreading the virus? Uh, what, if, what, if, what does the financial climate look like if we endure another shutdown? What does the financial climate look like if we open up and, and those aren't ready to spend any money just yet? Uh, how do I pray for a nation that seemingly turned away from its creator? How do I pray for global peace when there is no peace in my home? How do, I pay, how do I pray for uh, racial divide if there is divide in my own home? How do I pray for prosperity when my dreams have no traction? And those are the questions we ask. And if you've been here for any length of time, you know and you've heard the statement that uh, we're all about others here. And that's true. But if that's true and we're really all about others, then why do I feel alone in a room full of others? And that becomes a tough question we have to ask ourselves and we face. Can I really make a difference today? Do I really make a difference with those around me? Or is it just in my own home? Or is it just at the workplace? Do I really make a difference? And uh, of course, in the, the course of history, when we look at it, um, there have been a lot of people that have influenced change. We can look at it through Johannes Gutenberg, the inventor of the printing press. No longer do we have to manually write everything, but we are allowed to print in such high volume. You look at Winston Churchill, who played such a vital role in the demise and the fall, the defeat of Germany in World War II. Martin Luther King Jr., who had sparked a movement in dealing with uh, inequality. Henry Ford with the automobile industry and the assembly line. Uh, Michael Jordan, who changed shorts, shoes, the tongue, finances. That's right, it was not LeBron, it was Michael Jordan. Let it be said publicly, and let the church say amen. It's on record, folks. It's on record. But in Scripture, we also find there are so many people that made such a difference, influenced, and impacted change. It's Abraham and Jacob, Leah, Joseph, Moses, Gideon, Samson, Rahab, David, Elijah, Jonah, Naomi, Peter, the Samaritan woman, Thomas, Paul. We could go on and on about those that have made a difference in Scripture. So we can look at in the natural what has happened uh, with culture and what has happened with uh, the textile industry, just the different roles people have played in the history of our nation, and you look at the different roles that have played throughout Scripture of those that have influenced change and have made a difference. Hen Helen Keller once said, I am only one, but still I am one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do something that I can do. Everyone in this room makes a difference. 
This is why growth track is so important here at First Church. We believe that everyone has a gifting. We read it in scripture that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. This is why we have growth track because we believe that everyone in this room can make an impact, has a gifting, is important. None too small, none too great. Everyone matters to us here at Sterling Heights and in the kingdom. It matters to us. But uh, so easy it becomes that maybe we feel inferior, small. The, the moment's too big. How do I rise to the occasion? I have no formal training. Maybe I don't have pedigree. I, nobody really knows me. And oftentimes we end up fighting who we really are and we think we're so insignificant. But the need and the calling has always been there and there are just some that choose to answer it. Are you willing to choose and answer the calling that you have before you to understand how important you really are? In Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 39, you read about a gentleman named Philip. Philip is in Samaria, and they are, they are experiencing revival. If you, if you read the earlier chapters, in, I mean the earlier verses in chapter 8, you'll find that Philip is in Samaria. There is a revival. People are receiving the Holy Ghost. There are miracles. There are healings. There's, all these things are taking place, and yet God calls him to go further south and meet a gentleman, an Ethiopian, a man um, that was reading scripture. He had an appointment with this gentleman. And so here, Philip, don't know if he was reluctant. We don't know if he fought it. We don't know if he just took off and went, but we do know he left a place that was popping. It was happening. And he left there to meet one man. So he leaves a revival to meet one man. And here he comes in contact with, with the eunuch, this Ethiopian man, as he is traveling on his cart. Uh, Philip is walking and he overhears him read scripture. And in that time, it was custom that you would read scripture out loud. And so as Philip approaches him, hears him, asks him, do you understand what you're really reading? And this gentleman, this Ethiopian said, unless somebody explains it to me, I really don't. I don't understand it. And here we find the story where Philip begins to explain scripture. And as they are moving forward, finally, this, this Ethiopian man said, hey, I would like to be baptized. He finds a body of water. And that's where we hear the infamous, look, here is water, what doth hinder thee? And he is baptized. It was one man. Whether you are the one that is preaching to the masses, or you are the one that is receiving from one, or whether you are the one that is sent to help another one, you are still important. It doesn't matter if it's you with the mic. It doesn't matter if it's you talking to somebody one-on-one. -on -one. It was very important that Philip met the one to help him get to where he needed to be. Do never, just do not underestimate the value of who you are because you do not have a position or a title or name. Because I promise you, when you get to heaven, there's no titles and there's no names. None of that will matter when we're in heaven. What will matter is the lives and the one that you impacted and that you decided to step out in faith and do something. Do something. But it is obvious that one is powerful. Very obvious with Philip. One is very powerful. The voice of one can make all of the difference. You ever hear somebody say, hey, you know what? Uh, man, that, that person just said good morning. They just the way they smiled at me just really changed the narrative of my day. Just kind of changed me a little bit. That one voice made the difference. One voice makes a difference. Lauren, I would like you to sing something quickly for us. I need you. You need me. We're all a part of God's body. Stand with me. Agree with me. 
As you heard one voice, you could see the difference. Some started swaying, some closed their eyes. Maybe some of you started singing that in your own head. One voice changed the atmosphere of what was even going on in this room. One voice. In Genesis chapter 1, or chapter 11, verses 1 through 9, we read about the story of the Tower of Babel. This is a place where there was one language, one voice, at that time, and they began to build this tower. And as they began to construct this tower, and it began to just climb higher and higher, pride began to take seat in these people. And they began to think, if I can build it tall enough, I can be like him. They clearly never heard of the, the story when Satan felt like lightning because he thought the same thing, that he could be like God. So they obviously didn't read the memo. The email was not sent. So therefore... They thought they could get high enough and be just like him. And this is where we found that God confused the language and split them up into about 70 nations and tribes out of that one moment, that one historical moment. What would have happened, do you think, if the people would have used their voice for good? What do you think the landscape of what we see now would have happened? But because the voice of the people was used for something other than building the kingdom, other than following the voice of God, used for pride. Now you see a break in history, and nations are developed, tribes are, another tongue was developed, other tongues were developed, all because voices that were one were not used to glorify him. I would like to hear Safi and Lauren sing something real quick for us. I need you. You need me. We're all a part of God's body. Stand with me. Agree with me. We're all a part of God's body. The power of one is important. But when you have the power of one voice with multiple people, it becomes more powerful. People started raising hands. People started singing. Why? Because there was something that was compelling when people stand in unity as one voice and begin to make a difference together. See, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no division among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same minds and in the same judgments that our voice would be the same what do you think the church would look like if we were saying the same things what do you think it would really look like if we walked into an atmosphere where we were all on the same page i think it's a tragedy when you can walk into a church building where you can walk into a facility and then now all of a sudden instead of being in unity we avoid certain rows all of a sudden we're walking to a different aisle all of a sudden, we're avoiding certain people. But when Scripture tells us that if we would just bind together, that there would be no division among us, that we are perfectly joined together and become one voice, what could God do with one voice? That's why the enemy has tried to destroy marriages. You'll read about it in Mark chapter 10. 
And here Jesus is talking and he begins to talk about, you'll see in 7 and 8, where he said, except a, a man would leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife, the two shall become one. Well, individually they're one. Collectively, they're a powerful one. There is a difference when you're at one with one another. That's why the enemy would love to destroy relationships, would love for you to alienate yourself, would love for you to think that you're of no value, that you're better off on your own, that you can't talk to anybody, that you're just no value, because if he can get you on your own and isolate yourself, then the enemy can win without ever distracting or using any other tactic other than putting you all by yourself. Other than understanding the unity, the power that comes together. But individually, as one, we're many members of one body. Of one body. A couple of weeks ago, we're in Life Group. We're studying the book of Ephesians. If you have not joined a Life Group, I feel like we beat this up all the time. But I'm telling you, it's incredible when you can sit around, even on Zoom, we're hearing other lenses and what others are studying from the same scriptures and it was really great when we came to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3 and we read about endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit what is the difference between the unity of the spirit and a spirit of unity a spirit of unity is what we can have here we're all under one roof right we're here together there's unity we're in the same place But the unity of the spirit is not when we're all in the same house, but is the house in all of us. Are we all on the same page? There is a unity of a spirit that can come together. So when we are together, it's more than just us sitting together, but that our spirits are unified and that we're saying the same things and we're doing the same things. It's not a matter of, hey, I came to church, I checked the box, but that there is value when we are on the same page spiritually, that our spirits are together, that we understand we are of like people with like mind, with common goals. And so I would like Gabby to join those two and sing that one more time. I need you. You need me. We're all a part of God's body. Stand with me. Agree with me. We're all a part of God's body. Did you feel the difference when now you have three voices singing the same thing with the same spirit? What would happen to the church if we would all sing the same thing? What would happen to the church if we would all start to say the same things? That we would rally around the same issues. That we would rally around the people of God, our family. Because we are family. We were never meant to live alone. But you're important just as much as anybody else. That is why Acts chapter 2 is so powerful. When you read the beginning of Acts chapter 2, it says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. So let me ask you this. 
What if they were all in discord in one place? Would there be a Pentecost? Would there be a Pentecost in a later chapter with a different group of people? There is a difference between being in one accord in discord than being in one accord in one house together. It's so important that we protect the voice of one, the unity together. But when we're surrounded by dysfunction, so often we feel like it becomes more friction and more laborious. That we now start questioning motives and we start questioning each other and we'll pit each other against each other for lack of communication, for lack of prayer, for lack of being intentional on keeping a spirit of unity. That's why Joshua 7, when you read about the story of Achan here, you have to understand in Joshua 7, actually it was in chapter 6, when they marched around Jericho. So here Joshua's leading them. Six days they march around Jericho one time, and on the seventh day they march seven times around. On the seventh time those walls came down. Now you would think, that's a big deal. You watched a whole city topple. Now I've heard and read different scholars said that, I mean, it could be, so difficult to think of all these walls come crumbling down and they go and take the city, how they had to, you know, just walk over all this rubble. It's just tough. But I, I heard and read that there are places where when those walls fell, they became ramps for them to even enter the city. Isn't it so great how God is intentional on the very thing that stands between you and where you need to go? He can make it a ramp for you to get there quicker. That he cannot just break down the walls, but they could be your entrance point into victory that you never thought you could have. But here... Here they have victory. And here God told them, said, listen, I don't want you to take anything. That belongs to me. That's his tithe. That's his. Don't take it. That's yours. Got it. You've just seen this miracle. So now they are going to take a city called Ai. And when they get there, Joshua summed it up and said, hey, listen, guys, let's go see how many are out there. Let's see what we have to do. Let's form a plan of attack. So he sends out a couple of guys. They come back and they say, hey, it's really not that big. Now, mind you, they came off of a high. You ever come off a spiritual high where you're like, you're on fire? Monday night prayer is like, I mean, just it's fire. You come out and then Tuesday you got like smacked in the neck. Like, it's like, what, what happened here? Like, I, I was on fire. What happened? It's like, here they come out of Monday night prayer. I mean, the walls came down, the city's down, they're on a high. And so what did it say? You know what, Josh, it's not a big deal, bro. Like, let's get two or 3,000. We'll go knock it out real quick and we'll come home. No big deal. Okay, cool. We're outnumbering them. No problem. Let's do that. So here they send two to 3,000 out. And the Bible tells us that they were beat up so bad by the Amorites that 36 men lost, were killed in battle. They go running hightailing back home. Joshua's ticked. How did we lose this battle? How did this happen to us? He begins to talk to God and says, Lord, we could take a whole city, but we can't take, we, we can't take this city. All of Jericho is gone, but we, we couldn't do this. We weren't, we weren't marching around walls. We weren't doing none of that. How did we lose? And here is what, what chapter 7, the beginning, opens up with. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accused things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zebdi, and the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things, so the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. What happened was Achan decides to keep a couple of things. God said, don't take nothing. What does he do? He takes a few things. The Bible talks about that he literally took a beautiful Babylonian garment. Like, that suit looks sweet. I'm going to go ahead and cop that. I'm going to bring that suit back to the camp with me. 
Oh, you know what? There's some shekels of silver. I'm going to go ahead and take those two because you never know. I might need to buy shoes with the suit. And by the time he hits the, the 50 shekels of gold, it's like, I might need a belt too. So I'm going to go ahead and just grab all that money because I need a new wardrobe now because I already got the suit. I'm committed to the moment. So he takes all these, all these things and he hides it under him. And when they go to battle, they lose. So now Joshua's ticked and they're, on a war, they're going to find out who it is. And the incredible thing of chapter 7 opens up with is that the Bible says that the children of Israel, the children of Israel committed a trespass because one man sinned. Do you see what's going on? One man's sin can cause a whole nation to lose a war. One person. You mean to tell me what I do does not matter in the kingdom? What you do does not matter in the kingdom? One person can make a war become lost because they decided to hide something and God said all of Israel trespassed because of one man. One man. They all lost a battle. Is there anything in our lives that would call? I never want to be the blame for someone not getting a healing because I wasn't living a righteous life. I never want to be the blame. We never reach our city because I had a secret hidden sin in my life because I was operating on my own and not operating in unison with the church body. I never want to be the thing that stands between us and a lost city because I chose to operate by myself because I think I don't matter. It's important we all make a difference. We all matter. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 30. We misquote the scripture all the time. And it hit me as I was reading it last night. It said, if one can put 1,000 to flight, then two can put 10,000 to flight. Right? Don't we get excited? Oh, if I can do one, two, there should be 2,000, but instead it goes to 10,000. Like we get super excited. Scripture does not tell us that. The scripture says, how should one chase 1,000 and two put 10,000 to flight, except their rock had sold them, and the Lord had shut them up. For all of you non-KGV people, like myself, let me take you to the message to help you understand it a little bit better. How could one soldier chase a thousand enemies off and two men run off 2,000 unless, 10,000 unless their rock is nothing compared to our rock? Even our enemies say that. So in context to that scripture, God is dealing with Israel that started pursuing other gods in other worship. So this scripture is telling us when Israel was in blatant disobedience, they knew better. They knew better. When they were in blatant disobedience to what God wanted, because they were so numbered, what he did here is he sent one to put 1,000 to flight and two to put 10,000 to flight. That's how he could outnumber them. He used the enemy to outnumber them. So I began to think, well, Lord, we keep saying one is 1,000, two goes to 10,000. What do we put to flight? What's going on there? It took me to Leviticus 26, verses 1 through 8. Ye shall make no idols nor graven images. This is, yep, KGV. Uh, Neither rear you up in strange image, neither shall you set up an image of stone in your lands to bow down unto it. For I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them. 
Then I will give you the rain in due season. The land shall yield her increase. The trees of the field shall yield her fruit. And your threshing shall reach into vintage. And the vintage shall reach unto the sowing time. And you shall eat of your bread to the full. Dwell in your land safely. And I will give you peace in the land. And you shall lie down. And none shall make you afraid. I will rid evil beasts out of the land. Neither shall the sword go through your land. And you shall chase your enemies. And they shall fall before your sword. And five of you shall chase in hundred. And in hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. And your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. So let's do some math. How come when Israel is in disobedience to God, the odds were one to a thousand, two to ten thousand. But when they are obedient, they're able to chase five to one hundred and a hundred could chase ten thousand. That's a noticeable difference, isn't it? And I began to think, well, why? Why would it be if you're in disobedience the odds are worse than when I'm in obedience. God's trying to paint a picture for us to say, listen, when you are in deliberate disobedience to me, the weight of the sin, the consequence of sin is heavier. It is easier and better for you to be in obedience to me than to you to live in disobedience to me. He's showing us that, listen, it's worse if you just disobey and aren't following after me. That one sin that, a that Achan hid cost 36 people and his family. It was worse tragedy than seeing the victories because he lost his family. The cost of sin is heavy. The cost of being in deliberate disobedience is heavy. It is better to be in obedience than to lose everything because it is an accelerated rate. So what does that tell me? I can't afford to water down what we're doing in this room. You cannot afford to water down. I will say this, over time... We have stopped talking about the consequence of sin and the implications of disobedience to the word of God. We have more books on living abundant lives, help, help books. There's a lot of great material out there, but I think we have lost an element of the responsibility of the knowledge of sin, of what is wrong, what doesn't please him. What am I doing that cuts me off from him? What am I doing that would cause him to send and put my thousand to flight, two to ten? What am I doing that would disrupt that with him? And he's trying to tell us something. He said, listen, just obey me. And it's, it's better to obey than to suffer the consequences of sin. What you and I do matter to each other. What we do matters to those out there. Could you imagine living in a world like we are today without the hope of Jesus Christ? Could you imagine trying to counsel a husband and wife when they have no hope because they don't know who Jesus is and we sit on him every single week? We can't afford to live this way. But John chapter 1 verse 12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to them that believe in his name. So how do I receive this power? What do you mean, you know, if I receive, he gave me power to become, how do I become this? Well, Acts 1 says, if you, if you receive the power after that, you are filled with the Holy Ghost. So once you receive his spirit, you have the power and you are his son and you're his daughter. You can have victory in this life because you are full of him. It's important that we have this realization, understand that it's not just important that there's the power of one, me. It's not just important that there's the power 
of the spirit of unity with us together. We heard it as the voices began to sing. There was something that shifted in this room. Why? Because now you had an authority that came together. There was a oneness that came together. When one individual met another individual with another individual and we became one, there was a move of God in this room that you could feel. But that's just not enough for you to realize that you're an overcomer. Not only is it important that you're important, but it's important to understand that we serve an incredible God. It's important that you understand who this God is and who you are. See, he's the same God that was there yesterday, today, and forever. And oftentimes, we forget the importance of that. How could this God that brought the Israelites out of Egypt, it would have been enough. It would have been enough if he brought Israel out of Egypt, right? Man, listen, I got you out. You can't figure it out? Like, I literally brought you out. Grow up and do something. No. They were full of flaws. They had so many issues. I think that's when you see the grace of God. He walked with them for 40 years. Every knucklehead decision those guys made. Every time they just disobeyed him. Every time they complained and they murmured and they disobeyed. He was still there. And that shows you that not only is he there to bring you out of hell, out of being lost for all of eternity, he wants to walk with you every single day. He wants to be in the driver's seat. He wants to say, hey, listen, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm with you to the very end. You just got to include me in it. You just got to bring me in it. And I think we lose the, the lens that he looks us through. It's that we're his sons and we're his daughters. That you are a child of God. You hear the first scripture, he, he knew before you were even formed. Before your frame was built, he knew you. He already gave you your personality. He's not shocked at the mistakes we make. He's not shocked at the disappointments that we have in life. He's not shocked when things come our way and give us a curveball and we mess it up. It's more shocking to him when he brings us out and then we say, well, I'm good. I can reach out to you next Sunday. I'll see you next Sunday. I'll see you in life group. And then he doesn't hear from us Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We're nowhere to be found. We forget that there is a God that still presides over eternity. And that we are responsible. Because listen, one day we will all stand before him in judgment. Every one of us will stand before him in judgment. And this God of mercy that we talk about, we pray to, and the grace that he gives us, there still is a judgment at the end. There still is a time where you're going to have to give an account for the words out of your mouth, for the actions, and for what we did here on earth. Did we reach anybody? Did we talk to, did we love on people? Or were we more concerned about what seat we sat in, where our parking lot space was, what ministry I had, how many times I get the mic, who gets to run the board, who's on the fit team, who's at the door? Are we so concerned about doing than we are loving him and loving others and letting that be a manifestation of your spirit and how you're trying to reach others instead of just creating a job description and checking off a box. Remember when he said, Lord, depart from me, I never knew you. How did you know me? I never knew you. Why? Because we dismissed it. It's the same God that used 12 men to change the landscape of this world. It's the same God that healed it's the same God that took that little boy with some fish and some bread and multiplied it and fed thousands. It's the same God, but yet we look at the moment we're in and we struggle with our insecurities. We struggle with, well, am I really valuable? You know, what can I really do? 
I don't have a great talent. I'll never be up there. I, you know, I don't even know if I can be a, a, a door greeter. I, you know, people freak me out. I get nervous. There's all kinds of people. But many members, one body. Everyone is important. Right? Scripture says if you cut off the toe, how can, the, how can you walk? If you cut off the finger, how can you work? There, everyone is so important. Now, I want our musicians to come up as I kind of close this to a, um, to a moment. I want us to respond to the word because this is so powerful. When you understand that you're his son and daughter or how to become his son. And maybe you're here in this room and you're trying to say, you know what? I am tired of doing this alone. You know what? I, I am sick of trying to always do everything my way. It's lonely. Doesn't matter what your social accounts look like, social media. At the end of the night, when the lights cut out, you're still in your own reality. You know what the truth really is. Post the highlights, talk the highlights, that's great. But you know what the real reality is at night when you're faced with who you really are. And here Jesus is saying, listen, if, if, you, want to, if you want to be my son and daughter, it's simple, right? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory, Romans, everyone. There's not one person that has, it's an innate nature. That's something that we, were, we inherited from Adam and Eve. We have all sinned, every single one of us. So there is a separation between us and the creator. And he made it so easy. He spent time with the 12. And matter of fact, he commissioned and said, uh, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. He gave us a commission on how to go out and reach others and save them. Matter of fact, it was Peter in chapter 2, after they were all in one accord, right, in one spirit, one mind, that he said, all you have to do is repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins and, and, and receive the Holy Ghost. And you start your journey. You believe in him and you start your journey. And it's important because when you realize this God, in Matthew 28, 19, when he's talking about, you know, just uh, teach him, baptize him in the name of the Father, Son, who, who is this God? I'm glad there isn't three dudes up there. When you study the power of one through scripture, the power of us as one, the power of me as an individual, it's the power of one God. I don't have to go to anybody else to ask for repentance. I don't have to go through a pit stop on the way to recovery to say, hey, I just need some help. Can you go to the Father for me? I have direct access to the throne of God regardless of where I am, and I don't have to go to anybody else, but I can go to him and talk to him. That's why in John 5, 43, it says, I am come in my Father's name. So what is the name of the Father? This is Jesus. I am come in my Father's name. That name is Jesus. And you go a little bit south to John 14, 13, and he says, and whatsoever you ask in my name, I will do it that the Father will be glorified in the Son. So here Jesus is saying, I am come that the Father will be glorified through me, Jesus. Then you go into John 14, 26, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. Aren't you glad that there isn't multiple gods you have to go through, but that name is Jesus. He is the Father of all. He has died for you. He forgave you of all of your sins, and you no longer have to be the same person. Does anybody get excited that you can talk to him directly and know that you have one God, one faith? There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, that you don't have to do this alone, that you have him helping you? I want us to stand. But Acts 1.8, read it earlier, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. 
The power he gave you wasn't just for you to endure this life. The power that you have isn't just for you to live for yourself. Too often we get the mentality of that siege mentality, right? Man, I don't know what I, I don't know what's gonna happen in a couple of weeks. Stack my cash. And I got time for these folks. I gotta figure out my stuff. Time's limited. I can't invest in others right now. I don't have the time for that. And here he's telling you this power that he's giving you that gives you life, that connects you to him as his son and daughter, isn't just to connect you to him. This power is for you to connect with others, to be witnesses and to reach. And I'm challenging us in this room. Things might get scarier, things might get better. I don't know, but I know one thing. Outside of these doors, there are people that are looking for hope. Outside of these doors, there are people that are struggling with addictions, trying to find their way, fulfill, trying to fill that void with whatever they can. And it is our responsibility as one body under one God to reach them and to make a difference and to do the calling that God has given us. So what stands in your way? We read some names earlier today. What stands in our way to get involved, to answer the call? Abraham was old. Jacob was insecure. Leah was unattractive. Joseph abused. Moses stuttered. Gideon was poor. Samson, codependent. Rahab, she was immoral. David had an affair. Elijah was suicidal. Jonah was reluctant. Naomi, she was a widow. Peter was hot-tempered. The Samaritan woman had several failed marriages. Thomas had doubts, and Paul had health problems. The list could go on. What stops you, the one, from connecting with the one to be able to change your life, to change someone else's life? What is really stopping us? I want us to come to the front if you can. Keep your masks up. We want to respect that. But are you overwhelmed? Maybe have you operated under that siege mentality? Maybe are you struggling to find the value you bring to the table? The value of who you really are and hiding because you don't feel qualified. Hiding because maybe you made some mistakes. Hiding because Man, if people really found out what I'm all about, they wouldn't want me. They wouldn't love me. I was just at dinner with Pastor John and Talisha Friday night. We began to talk about FC Heart, healing the effects of abortion-related trauma. And the more Talisha's getting out and helping, just being a friend, just helping people walk through a healing process, the more we're finding, it's more than just abortion trauma. We're finding out it's physical abuse, emotional abuse. So many different crutches. So we began to talk about how can we go bigger? How do we take our minds from right where we are and, and, and think global, think bigger? Because there are others that need help. And it was the coolest picture I've seen this morning. This happened Friday. By today, we have our first copy in Arabic language of FC Heart. Our first copy that was issued this morning with Brother and Sister Beatrice 
and that family, and they're working with Diane and Fadi and so many. Folks, we can't afford to dumb down what we have in this house. You can't afford to withhold what God has given you as a talent. You remember that story in scripture where there's a man with one talent, and the Bible says that he took his talent and he hid it. When, when, the, when his boss came back and said, hey bro, what did you do? Where did you invest it? Man, I didn't do nothing with it. What do you mean you didn't do nothing with it? Yeah, I was scared. I buried it. He was cast out and his investment went to somebody else. It would be a shame if you had a gifting that God gave you, but because you refused to stretch yourself a little bit for somebody else, and stretch yourself to go a little deeper in your walk with God, that God said, man, you know what? I'm gonna take that from you. I'm gonna go park it over here because I know they're gonna do something with that. All in scripture you can find where he used a mule, he used a bird, he used animals, he used rocks, whatever it was to accomplish his will. Why? Because there was somebody that wasn't willing to do what God had called them to do. Didn't understand the value that they bring to the kingdom, the value that they bring to this place, this city, this house. What a shame and a travesty it would be if you make it to heaven and you're sitting there with your neighbor in front of you. What a shame. If God said to your neighbor, depart from me, I never knew you. Said, hey Josh, how are you Josh? And your neighbor turns around and says, Josh, you know what this is all about? Yeah, man. Man, I mowed the lawn and you talked to me. Why didn't you ever tell me about this? What a shame it would be if you would look at your neighbor and say, sorry, man, I didn't think it was the right time. Sorry, man, I didn't think you were interested in this. Sorry, man, I didn't think this would help you. You, you looked like everything was fine. You always had new vehicles. Your lawn was trimmed. Everything looked great. A travesty would be to watch your neighbor, your coworker, forever. Pastor John gave me this Friday night. Right? When we are in his presence, we're the ones that have to leave. He doesn't leave us. I will never leave you or forsake you. To the very end, that's true. You have to leave his presence. When he says, depart from me, I never knew you. You walk away. Imagine for all of eternity, that is on your mind. I walked away from him because I couldn't commit. Because I thought I wasn't good enough. God help us in the culture, the climate that we're in right now. Folks, we can't afford to dumb this thing down with sin and accept everything and say, everything's going to be all right. The grace of God, the grace of God, the grace of God is there, but we have to identify, we have to correct, and we have to love and help bring others up. It's our responsibility because if we're not doing it, who's going to do it? If not us, then who? If not now, then when? When do we take responsibility for what the Word of God is telling us to do when He is saying, I created you for a reason. You are important. You matter to the kingdom. How many dreams are broken in this house because life threw a curveball and all of a sudden what you aspire to be, you feel like you've lost it. Maybe you're not good enough anymore. Maybe you're here and you're saying, you know what? I want to be his son and his daughter. I, I, I want to take the next step. I want to repent and, and, and I, I want to get baptized today because I believe if I'm one with you and I'm one with him, 
then when I make it to him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. He still kept his word and he never left you. To the very end, he never left you. So we're gonna sing. And if you're here and you're wanting to maybe take that next step, might be uncomfortable, I know this is heavy, but the times that we're in require nothing more than us being completely vulnerable and completely honest with where we are. We cannot sugarcoat anymore. We do not have the time and we do not do justice to those we love when we are just trying to build relationships and hug on them and we'll do that. But there has to be a time where we are called and we act on what he has asked us to do. And the moment is now. Tomorrow is not promised. But you are in the moment today, and he's calling us, and he's saying, hey, I've given you a talent. What are you going to do with it? Jesus, you know the stories in this room. You know exactly what's going on. I don't have to know, because you're the creator. You know exactly what would be happening here this morning, five years ago. You've seen the future, Lord. And so, Lord, I come before you with these amazing people. As broken as I am, with all of my troubles, with all of my issues, and all of my questions, I know, God, that you will not fail me. But, Lord, I ask that you would forgive me of putting things off that I should have engaged, of second-guessing your calling in my life, of living in insecurities. Instead of operating in faith, operating as your child, but we are to come boldly before your throne. And so, God, I come before you this morning with this group of people as we approach your throne boldly, understanding that I am responsible, not just for myself, but for those around me, for my neighbors, for my coworkers. God, give me a passion and a love for others, Lord. But God, help me to never become so distracted with where I am, never become distracted with the issues of life that have slowed me down. But Jesus, that I would be able to give back to you the talent that you have given me, to be able to reach others and to reach the city and make a difference because I can't guarantee what tomorrow will look like. I don't know what that will look like, but I know that you're on the throne and you're in control. I know that nothing scares you, nothing intimidates you, nothing shocks you, but God, that you are in control right now, Lord. And so, God, we lift up our needs to you. We lift up every insecurity. We lift up every failure. We lift up every question, understanding, God, that you're one